I have written a love song, though. In this film, I sing it to a lamp. You want to be in movies? Like The Prince, The Sting, The David Bowie? Only when absolutely necessary. I would like to show people the movies in my head. I got a movie in my head. You want to see it? No, but do you have anything to eat? You're not saying anything. When I have nothing to say, my lips are sealed. Say something once, why say it again? Circle pillar, pesky said, Welcome, dear friends and dear listeners, to another episode of Pod Like a Whole presents Running the Gamut in season three, where we do all of our favorite things, artist bands, and we talk about them in random order by rolling the intrepid diamond dice. I am one of the host co-creators, creators, uh, and that's all that I really do around here. Um, this is Mark. I want to make sure that the Two people who really put their blood, sweat, and tears into this show uh, get their turn on the mic. Eric, are you out there? You may find yourself podcasting with two black-shirted males, uh, and uh, I'm Eric. <laughs> nice, Eric. The weird owl of the bunch. Um, <laughs> and it wouldn't be a true pod like a whole episode if we didn't have the man, the myth uh, himself, uh, Stephen Earl. Earl. Earl of Steves. Oh yeah, Eric said two, two, two black-shirted uh, wearing males, and he's correct. I'm not wearing a shirt. I typically don't wear much <laughs> when we uh, podcast. And that's true. I mean, the last almost two years now, uh, time's lost all meaning. It's one and a half years. Working from home a lot. I, I go to the office a couple times a week. I drive around California when I need to, but I still work from home a lot. You know why? Why stop? We why if I don't have to go to an office all the time, I'm not going to. A lot of that has to do with the fact that I can wear whatever I want. And um, yeah, I typically wear basketball shorts and a. Uh, That's it. Basketball top. shorts and tevas. Yeah, and maybe a tank top. Um, Crocs. Maybe maybe sometimes a tank top and just pair of boxer shorts. You never know. And uh, <laughs> this is my my look at least two days a week. And yesterday was Friday. It was September 10th. And at the end of the day, I was like, time to go buy some beer. And so I just leave my house dressed like uh, a cross between the Big Lebowski and a uh, basketball player. And 
<laughs> I go to my beer store, and then I'm sitting in my car, uh, dicking around on my phone as one does before I drive back to my house, and an old coworker taps on my window. <laughs> With <laughs> a flashlight. In, in like three years, uh, she used to live in Hawaii for a while. It's odd because I don't live near where anybody I work with is. And I get out and talk to her for a while. And at the end of the whole conversation, I was like, um, thank you for talking to me. Well, I uh, look like I just rolled out of bed, even though it's uh, 7 p.m. But uh, <laughs> I found that humorous. Um, yeah, <laughs> You had just gotten off work, so they say. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. Exactly. And I, I looked like I just got out of bed. Um, I can't be the only person that's still pulling that look off. But uh, here I am. Of course not. He's getting phone calls here now? Yeah. Yep. Again with the sweatpants. Well, I'm comfortable. You know the message you're sending out to the world with these sweatpants? You're telling the world, I give up. I can't compete in normal society. I'm miserable, so I might as well be comfortable. Because uh, tonight, we are actually going to be talking about uh, Stephen's nomination of the band Talking Heads, uh, and we're going to be talking about their record, Remain in Light. Quintessential uh, And there New is York a track band. on there. Absolutely. So I think that we've got some subject matter on this record that kind of talks about that global view and only kind of seeing it through one perspective and one prism. So we can certainly talk about that later. And the fact we've got, you know, uh, the quintessential New York band. Um, but I think, Stephen... Uh, I, I think Wait, hold time... on. This isn't. I didn't. I didn't nominate the Strokes. What are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> Was Interpol also in the mix? Uh, no. Um, but uh, so yes, Stephen, take her away. Talking Heads record that lands uh, pretty close to the middle of their discography. And uh, I'm looking forward to the discussion. We've got a, quite a bit of housekeeping to do uh, before we get into the history of the band. And uh, part of that is because, dear listeners, uh, we really, our productivity has slowed down quite a bit. And I just wanted to say we appreciate you sticking around while we come around when we can. Um, as in previous episodes, as I've mentioned, I, I moved my family, and we're still in the uh, the process of uh, dealing with that. And uh, you know, we're, we are moved, but moving with two kids, you know, this the unpacking goes on forever, and it's uh, it's quite quite an ordeal. That hopefully by the time we get around to the next episode, we'll all be settled. Yep. Free- in Steve addition to moved, that, Steve moved his family to a freedom village in Idaho. And their, <laughs> That's right. Their Wi-Fi doesn't work great every night. Uh, you know, it's funny is that today, today I was talking to somebody about a, an old mutual friend that moved to Idaho that 
definitely probably supported the views of the people on January or January 6th. So it's interesting that you chose Idaho. Um, I, I, knew, I know a few like family members that were Californians that either threatened to or did move to Idaho because they were they didn't want they didn't want Newsom to take their guns or something. It, it was yeah. So <sighs> yes, anyway. any Californians out there, even though you're going to hear this two months later, please make sure you vote. <laughs> please make sure you vote. The uh, no on the recall. This is, we're not trying to be NPR tonight, but my God, I don't want Larry Elder to be controlling anything I deal with. Good Lord, when this comes out, this is going to age like milk. Yeah. Well, I could, here, I could, we could do something that's going to be evergreen, even though it's very uh, red and brown. But um, there was a, a fire, a fire right by my house recently. Uh, and there's forest fires from July until September are just what we deal with in California. And the reason I bring that up is because... It was very close to our house. We're fine. We live close enough to the metropolitan area where I feel that Cal Fire has to put a lot of resources in keeping uh, uh, the city of Auburn from burning down. Anyhow, I only bring that up because I don't think anyone that replaces Newsom is going to help us with that problem at all. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> no. right. Uh, so, uh, yeah. Uh, anyways, getting back to patience with us as we release episodes, this lower clip. Uh, you know, for a while there, we released them in a fast clip, really fast. It was just, we were knocking them out. And we'll get to that again, but have patience for us in the meantime. And uh, in addition to my my issues, uh, you know, Eric, aren't you back in the school year too? So now you have to actually pretend that you care about your job again? I, I do. I, I Yes, I am back in fully. Schools are fully opened, although classrooms are closing left and right. We're quarantining, but for the most part, safe. Um, and, uh, that just means, uh, some nights I, you know, I do need to go to bed at a decent hour, but this is not one of those nights. No, tonight's going to be nice. Any, so my kid's in kindergarten now. I got him into some, uh, hippy dippy charter school that Eric gave me shit about, but I'm glad I did it now <laughs> because, uh, because very small classes and they really are strict about keeping things safe. How are things going with your guys' uh, kids in school so far this year? Um, so... So far, yes, my kids have gotten their first cold, um, which have, fortunately has very similar symptoms to COVID. Um, and so they did have to uh, stay out of school for a couple days and actually uh, get tested, uh, which was not fun. Um, but my daughter's class, and this was going on while she was sick, so two kids in her class tested positive. And so when she was coming down with these symptoms, uh, there was definitely a moment of, oh, fuck, you know, like uh, this hopefully isn't going to be that. Uh, and thankfully it wasn't. So tested negative, cold symptoms went away. But man, there were some uh, tense moments in the house. Yeah. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Lennox had a headache and got sent home for three days because it's on the symptoms list. But he had it because of the uh, air quality, because of the because of the fire smoke. But yeah. oh, Jesus Christ, I know. But I mean, hey, better safe, safe better, better safe than sorry. But yeah, yeah lately we've had blue skies lately. Uh, knock on wood. Um, yeah. yeah, totally. That's you know, yeah, I'd be mil- if I was in school right now, a teenager, I'd be milking it. I I would act like I have a headache all the time. Um, <laughs> so, Anyways, that's uh, that's our uh, wellness check, if you will. Uh, is there any news going on? Well, the, the Halsey that? album came out. Um, uh, which, yes, uh, uh, yeah, Eric, refresh some... us with 
that what that was all about? Right, right. So, uh, pop singer Halsey, who's oh, her. I listened to a little bit of her background thanks to um, like Daniel Ballard and some of our our listeners pointed me in a direction. Checked out um, Manic and Badlands and kind of like psychedelic folk pop. It would how I describe some of that. Um, not necessarily my bag, but definitely talented and more kind of more mature in songwriting than maybe some of some of their contemporaries. And then uh, they uh, reached out to Trent Atticus, and Trent Atticus saw something in her in them, and uh, produced every track on the new record. Um, which includes uh, so, some guest performances by previous Nine Inch Nails uh, colleagues like Dave Grohl and uh, Lindsey Buckingham and even Jack Dangers from EP Manifesto. And um, it's an interesting listen. And I don't know, it might be worthy of a B-side at some point. Um, I've, I've gone through it a few times and while I, I don't know if it's necessarily going to... Uh, make me a super fan of Halsey's uh, vocal stylings, although she's very talented. I just don't know if it's my bag. Uh, it's certainly a a very uh, thoughtful and uh, like thematically tight record and with some really cool Trinaticus songwriting chops in there. Yeah, I gave, it a, I gave it a few spins. I like it. I really like the second to last track. I like anything that has uh, ocean imagery Light, lighthouse lighthouse yeah yeah uh, mark what do you think of it Yeah, I gave it like maybe one or two spins. I know I gave it like at least one playthrough all the way, but I think maybe one and a half. Let's just call it that. Um, and so far, I mean, I, I don't really have much exposure to Halsey um, and as a pop singer. And I think out of all three of us, I think I listened to the most pop music, uh, but that could be uh, in contention as we all have kids at a certain age. True. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I really enjoyed it. I, I think the production is spot on. Uh, it has that signature, you know, Trent Reznor piano sound, um, and she's a good vocalist. I mean, I, I personally like vocalists like Lord and, and Billie Eilish. Like, even though uh, they're definitely considered, you know, but honestly, like they both are uh, considerable artists. I don't know. So that's just me. And I think maybe I'm hanging out with my daughter too much. No, <laughs> I was going to say, I've got that so. Olivia Rodrigo I think, memorized. I think, it, <laughs> I think the pop music when we were growing up of uh, uh, a lot of female pop artists, had it was, it was completely, you can't even compare it. When we were your daughter's age, it was uh, Janet Jackson and Paula Abdul. Um, but at the same time, I mean, those are some good, they had some good songs. Uh that uh, Janet Jackson had this uh, that one album I think it was called Control which oh, yeah. Yeah. I've only listened Red to it like, once like all the way through my life but it actually has great production 
<laughs> on it. Uh, yeah. And it, it was like Jimmy Jam and somebody else produced the whole thing. Does that have actually, the song Nasty Boys on there? I think so. Because that's, um, that's a jam right there. Yeah, and then, you know, my I guess my point is is that adolescent, not adolescent, you know, pre-teen pop music uh, it can be quality back then and now. My thing that I have, uh, it's not a problem with, but a similarity that the, the Billie Eilish's and uh, Lord a little bit, but also definitely Lana Del Rey and others have, is that I realize that their trajectory to um, getting noticed is different. A lot of it's self-produced stuff at home. But so many of them have like this like dreamy, sleep-songy quality to a lot of their vocals, and it drives me insane. Um, yes, I will give you that. Too many breathy vocals where they're really down in that lower register. I hear you on yeah. that. I, it's definitely a vocal trick. Uh, you know, and when it was uh, Christina Aguilera and Britney Spears, they did like, you know, that weird thing. Uh, I'm not even going to try to attempt it where it was just really sung up really high and they're like, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, that kind of thing. Again, I was I'm glad you attempted horrible. it. Don't work. I attempted it. It's still. <laughs> It sounds like a slow down SpongeBob laugh. Um, Um, but I, I, I prefer what we hear today, but yeah, I, I, I know exactly what you're saying about like kind of that breathy dreamy, like I'm just woke up and now I'm on the mic sound. Yeah. 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 But yeah, I mean, you know, more Halsey's a mature, uh, definitely has a mature message for this, this record. And, um, uh, I like I I like the songwriting on it like, pretty much across the board. So I do think it's it's worth, definitely worth checking out if you're a Nine Nails fan. Absolutely. And uh, and you know actually a lot of a lot of new music coming out lately. Let's just take a slight detour here. A lot of new music coming out. And uh, let's see, we had uh, the new album by uh, um I can't think tonight. Granite. Who put Granite out, Mark? It's a damn uh, band you Def, like. Yeah, I know. Def Heaven. Uh, yeah, Def Heaven. That was Infinite Granite. Yep. Uh, I got that one. And then you guys turned me on to another one. Well, that, oh, yes. uh, yeah. The, the, the... Turnstile. Turnstile. Turnstile's yep. album Glow. I've, I've listened to their last record. I liked it. But this new one's like a great slab of... God, I don't even know how to describe it. It's, it's weird. You can really hear the 90s in it, but also it's, it sounds modern. The production's great. Uh, I can, they're, but they're still like from some kind of hardcore scene. But there's Nirvana and Smashing Pumpkins are blended in there somehow. It's just, I, I love it. Yeah, so that's good. With, with moments uh, of like R&B and like D'Angelo sounding, uh, yeah, soul singing, which is great too. But it yeah, never sounds, it never sounds schizophrenic. It sounds as right. one piece. Someone like you would always be so easy to find. 
WK came out yesterday. I like it. It's a big, big meatloaf size. <laughs> I use, <laughs> use that on purpose. Sounding uh, just big, big rock and roll record. And then uh, Mastodon released a new song this week. Did you get a chance to listen to that yet, Mark? I didn't check it out. It was uh, released yesterday. Uh, to, so tell me. Tell the fans. That's good. It's, it's Mastodon. You know, it's, uh, it's crack. It gets you high. But... Um, <laughs> You know, it's off the new album that's coming out called Hushed and Grim at the end of October. Well, that'll and be fun. It's a, it's, it's a proper album, and uh, this sounds like a proper Mastodon song. I'll, I'll let you check it out. What would you compare it to? What what record would you be able to just throw uh, that bad boy on? Emperor Sand? Are we talking Crack the Sky? Are we talking... This particular song sounds like it could have come <clears throat> off of either Leviathan or the Blood Mountain. Wow, all right. Pretty, pretty aggressive. Uh, harken back. Um, yeah, I doubt the whole album will be that way. That's uh, that's too one sided for them. They're very dynamic at this time. They like to sure go it's, up and down uh, and all around. Blood and thunder for twenty twenty one. I wouldn't give it that. That's that's like saying that uh they the that's like saying Leonardo da Vinci came back to life. That's <laughs> that's not happening. I can't write that song twice. A song of that caliber twice. No, no, sir. Oh man, that song is yeah. Something other, else. Other, other fun thing that came out was that black album cover box set of Metallica's black album, which is all covers. And that whole thing came out. I, uh, I haven't listened to the whole thing. Eric asked me that. God, I mean, how much time do I have in the day? <laughs> but I, I like a few of those covers quite a bit. And it's, it's got people such as ghost, uh, cage, the elephant, Chris Stapleton, uh, <laughs> Dave Gahan, Chris Gaines, uh, Billy, <laughs> I wish Chris Gaines doing Unforgiven. Um, and, then, and, and then Garth Brooks will do Nothing Else Matters. Uh, Miley Cyrus is on there. Don Henley. Um, <laughs> I, I listen to Don Henley's Nothing Else Matters. Lee Greenwood. What, I mean, what, what if, uh, what, what, what if, uh, yeah, turn the page, their cover of Bob Seger. What if Bob Seger came back and covered, uh, you know, the God that failed? It'd be perfect. There. That would be perfect. <laughs> yeah, but I, 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 I like a lot of the covers on there. Some of them are very, very bizarre. And that's the new music roundup, which gets us into. Let's try to get back on track here. Uh, <laughs> plug like a hole.
Mark, what do you, what, do you, what has been, what has been juice in your blender lately? Well, I mean, I, I actually thought we just went through plug like a hole because yeah. I was refraining my comments about uh, that Def Heaven uh, infinite granite record because holy smokes, did that knock my socks off? Um, and I know what Steven's going to hold back for now his plug like a hole because he didn't say it in that last segment. Um, but Infinite Granite, holy smokes, I was super surprised by it. It took me by absolute, just uh, unexpectedly. It was different from what they've done in the past. Uh, it's got some sweeping moments, and it's definitely got that what they now call Black Shoegaze moments. Um, so that record spoke to me pretty, pretty hard. So that's my plug. Uh, Mark, you're correct. That's why I didn't bring up that other thing that I'm going to bring up in a second. Yep, but uh, yeah, I need to. Uh, I needed to give the Infinite Granite a few more spins. I, uh, I'm first to admit, Deaf Heaven, not for everybody, but for they just hit me at that certain moment when this record came on the scene. At first, I was like, uh, I don't know if I want to listen to this, and then I gave it a little bit more uh, time and patience, and it like uh, took me away. And I think it was Eric's recommendation for me to actually check him out because. They had fallen off my radar. Eric's always got his face on, or his, his face, his face on the pulse of the music blogs. <laughs> so, Eric, tell it's me not where how you read a pulse, Eric. I, you got to use your hands. <laughs> yeah, tell me where your put face my been face lately, on, Eric. On on on, uh, you know, accident victims' wrists, trying to see if their heart's still kicking. Um, but hey, listen, uh, that uh, turnstile, great. Uh, as we said. Um, that Def Haven great uh, from a friend of the show Raymond Watts of Pig released a remix album for Pain is God with some really fun remixes by like Frontline Assembly and the Joy Thieves and uh, it is uh, it is definitely a shot in the arm uh, for those rivet heads out there uh, watched a very interesting movie on Amazon Prime last night uh, called uh, Daniel isn't real Starring two legacy actors, uh, the son of Tim Robbins and the son of Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, it's basically like uh, Drop Dead Fred if uh, the, if Fred was making people murder. And it was a very weird, very high concept thriller, and I enjoyed it. Ian, Raymond to his friends. That's I'll right. have to... Uh to check that out that's a very interesting pair of legacy actors yeah or do they seem well, decent do they seem like they yeah, know what they're doing yeah oh uh yeah um schwarzenegger i don't remember his first name greg schwarzenegger something like that he's uh channeling his inner uh nick cage uh in that in that role that he's doing in that movie just i uh, just unhinged but yeah both both gregory both, schwarzenegger both uh young handsome handsome devils for sure <laughs> gregory <laughs> goes well Gregory. with Schwarzenegger. Gregory, you've got to take it down a notch. No one's going to believe this. This is not like you're talking to Richard Kimball. <laughs> uh, I think I was reading... I, I always like to read IMDb trivia while I'm watching a movie. Um, or, like, directly after. That's a good yeah. That's a good way to pay attention to the uh, people that made some art for you. Okay. okay, okay. Or, I said or directly after. And and uh, it said that, that they asked, some reporter asked Arnold what he thought about uh, his son's sex scene in that movie. Um and he's, I think his answer was, that was a wild ride. That was how he responded to watching his, watching his son <laughs> have sex. With a thumbs up. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> oh, man. <laughs> uh, my plug is, yes, as Mark predicted, the new Iron Maiden album came out. Senjitsu! I was already having an Iron Maiden moment this year. I think in a previous episode I even brought that up. And, I mean, we're, we're at the point now where there's very few artists where I can make a, a playlist that's all their records and just put it on shuffle and not get tired of it. I mean, how many, how many artists that you like could you put an entire discography playlist together, shuffle it, and not be annoyed by half the tracks that come out? For a band that's been around 40 years or almost 50, that's difficult to think of. But uh, Iron Maiden, they only have a couple of clankers. And even the clankers aren't that bad. Those would be the, the Blaze Bailey albums from the 90s. <laughs> Actually, there's a couple of good songs on those records. But uh, this new one, man, it's, uh, it's, it's, you know, everything since Bruce Dickinson came back has gotten progressively. He came back in 2000. And they've gotten progressively more progressive. Progressively progressive, if you will. A lot of long songs, a lot of songs that uh, you wonder where they're going and they finally get there, but you're glad they do. Still have a lot of anthemic moments, but uh, I think the Senjutsu one has a lot of different styles of songwriting for them. It's got a track on it that sounds like it's an old Western. It's got probably one of my favorite closing tracks in their whole catalog that if it was the last song they ever made, I'd be happy with that. I'd be like, oh, that's okay. It's got this song called Darkest Hour that's all about Winston Churchill era World War II, and it's not patriotic at all. It talks about, like, you know, the shit, shit, the shit could have went the wrong way. in the hills? I mean, didn't they used to have that uh, yeah, playing? No, and, this, yeah, this is like the uh, the flip coin, the, the flip side to that. Okay. But uh, it's just, uh, you know, I, I think it's really great musicianship, great songwriting, and uh, Bruce Dickinson can't hit notes like he used to, but he doesn't sound bad. He's he's he now sings like an old wizard, and I think he knows what his his range is, and uh, I just love it. I've, I've listened to it a lot. So, Senjutsu by Iron Maiden. I, I really enjoyed it as well. Um, for I mean, I think the true uh, fans of you know music and metal, I don't think have really thrown Iron Maiden into the same bin as uh, where Kansas goes. It's not like they're playing the Powerhouse Pub on a you know Wednesday uh, afternoon. Well, um, actually, Mark, I'll, I'll stop. Not at all. They're they still like when they go on tour, they, they make a shit ton of money. Oh, and, I, I uh, would imagine so. I'm sure they're selling out. Yeah. I mean, practically close to probably stadium size areas still. They, they've just I'm remained. Sure they, 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 yeah, they're still kind of a high water mark. A lot of fans still they they're the, the half the fan base won't go past 
the stuff that stopped coming out in 1991, but those people still return to hear those songs. And another chunk of the fan base celebrates all of it. And then you have another chunk of the fan base that only knows the shit from the last 20 years, and they like that. So anyway, sorry to cut you off, but... Uh, no, I mean, I think that they're, uh, that record is um, some of the most original music I've heard in a while, actually. Uh, it has a lot of hooks. It has a lot of uh, swoops and valleys. It has a lot of range. Um, it took me by surprise. I mean, uh, I, I do like Iron Maiden quite a bit. I don't love them as much as Steven does. Um, I don't think uh, Steven loves his own wife as much as he loves Iron Maiden. Um, but... Honestly, I think they're an incredible band, and I'm sure if we ever do another season of this, uh, we'll be probably talking about one of their records. Yeah, oh, yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll they're one of them. Eric, they're, you gave it a spin too, I think, right? Yeah, yeah, and they're and they're you know in general they're just solid stalwart of metal. But um, what you know, what surprised me, similar to Mark, was just the uh, the IMAX journey your ears take with a good pair of headphones on, on, on the album. It's, uh, just, uh, they just ramped up the production. It was, uh, it was quite an experience. The thing about Iron Maiden is, I mean, they're one of the godfathers of metal and most of the bands that came after them are influenced by them, but they never, they, they always had an ear for melody. Like you wouldn't believe they, they hooks and melodies. They're all about it. So it's, uh, Good time, that Iron Maiden. So that's all the new music. That's all the plugs. Let's get into what we're actually talking about tonight, which is the Talking Heads. I'll be honest with you, dear listeners, I am a pretty big Talking Heads fan. I can't sit everybody down and go over their history like I can with some of the other bands we've talked about. Only because it, it, it's... 
It's, it's very hard to describe, like, the dynamic of this band if you're not in this band, in my opinion. So much of what the outsider's view of this band looking in is, is disagreements of these band members that were, like, 40 or 50 years ago. Um, and it, it's, it's hard to tell, you know, what's real, what's an attitude problem, what might be a certain personality quirk, or... Uh, you know, what might just be a, a... Was there one asshole? Was there three assholes? I don't know. But uh, before we get into all of that, uh, Mark, what's your Talking Heads history? So, and I want you to take absolutely zero offense to this. Um, so Talking Heads, uh, for the longest time, I put into the best of category. Uh, I thought you were going to say, I thought you were going to say that you, you know, mix them up with crowded house or something, but okay. No, no, no. Or, uh, <laughs> cause they had that one song or no. Um, I, I never put them in that like group of like, uh, you know, simply red or yeah, crowded house, those types of bands, but they were in like in a best of category, meaning I only really liked this band, um, by owning a single best of, I would, arguably almost say that Tom Petty for me still kind of exists in that category. Great, great songs, but I couldn't necessarily know if I want to actually dive deep into any of his records from back to front. It's just great musician, great artist, great band, but I'll just take your best of. And for the longest time, Talking Heads were in that category. In 2004, I had purchased that uh, uh, best of, I think that Rhino Records had released and I loved every song on there, but I was like, that's good. I don't need anything more than that. Uh, Flash forward maybe two years later, and I believe I was working with uh, a friend of the show and wife of the show, I guess you would say, one of them. Uh, She introduced me to a little bit more of the records when I worked with her at a uh, record store in Folsom. Uh, She would put on Fear of Music. She would put on uh, the David Byrne and Brian Eno uh, record um, that I'm sure that Eric will talk about a little bit later in the Bush of Ghosts. And so that's when I really started to go and maybe there is more to this band than just burning down the house or um, uh, once in a lifetime. And so uh, then I started, my first Talking Heads went through was Fear of Music. And then uh, just now through the power of music streaming, I've been able to now expose myself uh, to pretty much a lot of the catalog. uh, And in to flash forward also uh, before I had left that record store, uh, when David Byrne and Brian Eno made another record, which I'm sure Stephen will talk about, uh, I gave that a few spins and I uh, quite enjoyed it. Still, though, I am not a huge uh, student of Talking Heads. They are an incredibly important band, incredibly influential, and uh, everything that I've heard puts them in the pantheon. But for whatever reason, I still don't just haven't fallen in love with this band, even though everything I've said, you would think that I would be swooning over them. Uh, But they're just like, I'm only when I'm in the mood. Yeah, Mark, I have a similar kind of experience uh, to you uh, in the sense that I only had a greatest hits for a long time. Um, and, but, but, but going was back to sand for, in the Vaseline, it was, was sand it? in the Vaseline. Yeah. That double, yeah. that double disc was just, it's yeah. one of the best greatest hits of all time. It has like one off B sides and, and just, you know, uh, songs that maybe weren't greatest hits, but like upper echelon tracks that like in my head, like I, uh, sugar on my tongue 
might as well have been as big of a hit as burning down the house just because it's it's so good and so catchy but it never you know it was a minor minor single <clears throat> but anyways that's later go back to my childhood uh, i've talked about our across the street neighbors the homes before because there's my family's dear friends and to this day we're, we're close but um my parents my parents friends but my parents you know they were boomers with uh and their music taste was like psychedelic rock and folk from the 60s and 70s but these uh, these neighbors across the street were young, on the younger end of uh, maybe even like older end of Gen Gen X, yeah, probably younger end of boomers. But they were like, if if I needed to know what like adult cool was in the eighties, uh, it generally happened over at their house. You know, there was they always had like uh, Richard Hamilton uh, collage art up or Keith Haring paintings like uh, you know, framed around the house. Um, very much that like that like uh, uh kitschy like peewee's playhouse kind of vibe um and i definitely heard a lot of talking heads and a lot of prince a lot of peter gabriel like that kind of stuff it's kind of been known to be like the art cool uh of 80s music all that um, stuff goes together so well what you just said though from um those three artists to peewee's playhouse and uh, what's that art keith keith, uh, keith herring and, and richard hamilton keith, they did that like the 50s you're collages. painting such a picture there where all those interlocked yeah. together i can picture yes. these people you're talking about yes yes and they they had they had the collections of matt Groening's uh life in hell comics like it was just you know it was just it was a very i felt like i was getting a pop culture uh education over there so anyways they've been around i've heard them over there kind of I even at a young age I could tell I was hearing some like cutting edge pop music that was that was influenced by some world music which was def we've talked about that when we talked about Lodger it was definitely a thing um then I got a little older I knew I liked the hits um and I knew I wanted to, to dig in but the first thing that came across when I was working at the record store was that scene of the Vaseline as we just talked about had that for a while got married wife had all the albums and and then you know going back through and listening to them uh, was a treat um, although I didn't pay as close of attention, I just knew I liked it. I liked their sound. Uh, even the non-hits, I liked the sound. Um, uh, as we'll talk about, uh, as much as I complain about singers that talk their way through songs, uh, David Byrne had quite the hit rate when he did that of making it a theatrical experience. Um, not all the time, but mostly. Uh, so anyways, uh, so I would say I've done a dive through their discography, but this time I went back through all their records, some of the solo stuff, some of the collab work that David Byrne did. Um, and I just, it just lit a fire under me for my, for my talking heads love, which, you know, like I said, always had an appreciation since I was a kid, but uh, this will be fun. This will be a fun chat. Well, by the way, David Byrne can sing. He sings on plenty of songs. I know. I didn't say, I didn't say he doesn't sing. Okay. I'm saying he does the talk thing. Point of order. He does the talk thing. <laughs> well, and I he say, does the parliamentary part of war. <laughs> Order! <laughs> All right. Sorry. Yeah, no, my, my talking head, like, I actually, as a kid, I remember very vividly uh, seeing the video and hearing the song for once in a lifetime. Uh, it's like a small, small kid. Whatever, that's a, for whatever reason, that song stuck with me uh, since I was a kid. I wasn't a talking heads fan as a kid, but I liked that song. And I just had uh, at my grandma's house. I used to watch MTV a lot. And also um, what about Kermit the Frog. He did a version of it. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Steve. I'm sorry. That, that's all right. You got your Disney plug in there. Mm -hmm. um, but, you yeah. know, that so that that was one thing. And then 
just growing up, like I always knew about who the talking heads were. My idea of them was where they are this weird band that kind of is like a fucking far side comic becoming a band. I don't know how else to describe them, but you know, all these, it just seemed like they were just like their topics were all about like the mundane aspects of life, but how bizarre the mundane aspects of life can be. Um, and as I grew up like as a teenager, I, I, I didn't listen to them a lot. Definitely in my early twenties is when I really started to discover them that I had that same greatest hits album you had. Uh, that same live double album they put out, I got. And those are two great compilations that give you the whole vibe. But then three people actually like tell me like, say, hey, just listen to the rest of their albums. Uh, a friend of the, sh- the show, Jason Hellwell, was one of them. It basically, you know, he he went on a binge, probably got them all off LimeWire and said, you know, there's a lot of great songs here. And he also uh, he also put out a, a version of the song Heaven that we've uh, posted on the show before. And uh, 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 we'll, we'll, we'll fit a little bit, but that in right here. Nothing ever happened. Oh, Christmas. Christmas is a time. A time when nothing, nothing ever happened. There's a party Everyone is there Everyone will leave At exactly the same time When this party's over And a a friend of mine uh, from back then, an old girlfriend actually She liked a lot of punk music and whatnot Which I guess makes sense that she would also be a Talking Heads fan because Talking Heads were part and adjacent to the punk scene, even though I wouldn't consider them a punk band. I mean, well, yeah, but they're right there. They're right there in New York in the mid seventies. I mean, they're right there next to the punk right. bands. Going they were, to they were among it. And shit. They were among it, and they probably played. They, yeah, they, they you definitely know, punk, played punk mentality, but they didn't have the the sound of a what no. we think of when we think of a punk band. But weird enough that they that they could get gigs at punk clubs. And in addition uh, to those two, uh, my friend and uh, early roommate, Trent, um, I don't remember exactly what albums he had. He either had the the early albums or he was talking about them enough to where I always associate this band with him. Um, It might be because at the uh, old Ironsides dance club, I remember very specifically him dancing to Psycho Killer just the same way that David Byrne could, which... uh, you guys can both picture that because you know Trent. So uh, <laughs> David those, Byrne's those dancing come, will come up more than a few times. <laughs> yeah, uh, those three people combined kind of kind of made me become a bigger Talking Head fan in my twenties, and um, I like to go back to them occasionally. And whenever I do, I'm pretty happy that I did. So that being said, the band themselves and how they came together is a interesting story. And I feel that the animosity of this band kind of overshadows the, how they came together. Uh, because I mean, they're uh, the, the, the bandmates did uh, David Byrne on guitar and vocals, uh, Chris France on drums, uh, Jerry Harrison on keyboards and uh, other various instruments. And then Tina Weymouth on bass. 
Um, they that, that that was the core of the band, and as they went along and became just started using bigger sounds, they would enlist a bunch of other musicians doing brass work and additional percussion. And uh, you know, we're gonna hear a little bit of that on this record that we're gonna talk about. But the, the core was those four, and I mean Tina herself in. I've listened to a couple of interviews with her and her husband. I think, are they married now? They might be married. They were definitely dating during the band, but her and the drummer, I believe are married now. And uh, I've listened to some interviews with them. And she basically said that David Byrne is a man that's in- incapable of returning friendship. And when I look at David Byrne, who I consider him to be the center of talking heads, when he decided talking heads was done, they tried to continue without him. It didn't work. It wasn't like a Pink Floyd uh, situation. Like, they just ceased to exist, basically. Um, I think they put out an album called No Talking, Just Head. Did I make that up? Or does that exist? They oh, did. Whoops. Yeah, yeah. No, definitely. Sorry. Okay. I, was, I, was, I was muted there. Yeah. I've heard that you have said what um, Tina Weymouth once said of you, um, which I'm, I think this was at a tender time, um, uh, and so I don't think she said it. I think she said it in, uh, she wasn't as happy with you at this time, but she said, well, you know, he has Asperger's. Mm-hmm. And then I, I didn't really, know what that was then. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, after some other friends had told me about the kind of the spectrum of Asperger's and autism. And I thought, oh, I, yeah, I can see that. That uh, certainly at, diff- at an earlier point in my life, not so much now, um, there's a part where I felt very uncomfortable socially. And so I thought, oh, okay, yes, I can see that where I'll fit on that. Some of those things that, yeah, seem, I, I seem I can identify with that. It's the very functioning end of the autism spectrum. Yeah, yeah, it's the very functional end. So I could certainly function fine. But, I, but, but socially, very uncomfortable. Um, probably the idea of observing and asking, like, am I supposed to do that? Is that the way, you, is that what people do? That probably goes along with it a little bit. Um, maybe kind of a, a sort of an intense focus on kind of the songwriting or the artwork that I was doing at the time, that kind of thing. Probably so it's, as other people have said, um, a little bit isn't the worst thing in the world. Um, And when you, I felt like you don't know, however we are, whatever, you know, we don't know how to be another way. That's the way we are. And you change over the years uh, and become someone else, someone different than you were before. But um, but at that earlier point, that's who you are. And it's not you can't say, "Oh, I'm unhappy. I, I wish I was more like this uh, happy, gregarious person uh, who's so, more socially adept." I would just 
I figured I'm not. I'll make friends with a socially adept person, and they'll be the one that brings everyone in. <laughs> well, the, Paul and Kale has great minds. <laughs> Sounds very calculated, but I don't. I, no. It wasn't quite as much. We all need guides. We yeah. all need guides. Well, Paul and Kale wrote. This is way early on, Byrne has a withdrawn, disembodied sci-fi quality. And though there's something unknowable and almost autistic about him, he makes autism fun. And at that time, I hope you know, you, I'm sure you do, what that means to the community with autism. I mean, people are, they're out of their minds happy. So mm. they just, they uh, think that's the greatest thing they've ever heard. Um, that you might even be a, uh, ha at some time have been a part of their community. capable of returning friendship, but every time I listen to him now, just talk, maybe it's because he's gotten older, I mean, the guy just always seemed to me like the Bill Nye of rock and roll, um, and I, I don't know, what, are, what is your guys' perception of, 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 of David Byrne? Well, I think that, I think at least in like the WTF interview, hey. they kind of implied that he was possibly like on the spectrum, uh, which I mean, that's his business, really, I don't know if I would be throwing that out there, I don't know if I'd be diagnosing people, but... If that's a thing, I can see, I can see how it would be frustrating uh, to be in this this kind of band and um, that, it, but not having any of the camaraderie that goes with it, and then having somebody that's kind of making all the decisions, even though it started as a, you know, a collaborative effort. Um, so I guess I I do see that perspective. Um, I do have a question, and I, it is actually yeah. a sincere question. Yeah. Uh, when you talked about being on the spectrum, is Brian Wilson, uh, is he... Brian Wilson? On the spectrum? From the Beach Boys. Oh. Because, yeah. uh, I mean, when I look at yeah. David Byrne, and like I, then I can try to compare him with someone like Brian well, Wilson. Well, I think Brian Wilson has a lot of complicated things going on, um, but I think he's more like borderline personality like like his is more social emotional than like a um than say the uh, the i guess the social disorder that would be spectrum but i okay I, I wouldn't know for sure but i do know that like yeah brian brian wilson has other other diagnoses but then again he had that uh that he had paul giamatti as his psychologist that was over over diagnosing him so who knows? That poor guy's brain has been ripped three ways from Tuesday. But back to David Byrne. Um, one thing that's interesting about that, too, is knowing that that people have kind of made that diagnosis, that that armchair diagnosis of him. Um, I watched his uh, Broadway show, um, The American Utopia, on HBO. And it's beautiful, beautifully filmed by Spike Lee gorgeous like it looked really good for a very like minimalistic set design but the band's like dancing and they have 
you know, like Bluetooth mics broadcasting and they're all just dancing together. It's fully choreographed. And in between songs, oh, that's what I was going to say is it's like, it's minimalistic looking, but the chor- no, choreography yeah. is, a, Oh, it's, it's oh great. God. Yeah, it's great. And he's playing 90% talking head songs. And, um, in between he's talking a little bit and he talks a lot on that about how hard it has been for him his whole life to connect with people. And, uh, to understand people and that that informed a lot of his songwriting and i think maybe he's saying the same thing his ex-colleagues were saying about him um but he as an as an older guy he's definitely coming from a from a place of of contentment and and and, and i guess wisdom of his own of his own mind either way he seems like he had a lot of barriers uh socially which did affect the band um but i Based on what he even said about himself, I do see some strong evidence for some for somebody that works in the in the field with uh, with people on the spectrum. I do see some. I do see why it was thrown around, but at the same time, who knows? It's his business. Well, I just I, I think that when you talk about the history of this band, that's where you start because I feel like this band starts and ends with with at least the whole like package. He's the main part. That's not to minimalize the other band members who contributed songwriting and music. But I mean, the oddity of this band is just, it's truly an American creation of paranoia and an obsession with uh, suburbia. And I, I just feel like David Byrne sums it up. He's just, just this strange, mostly 1980s character that could not have been, I mean, the band started in the seventies, but, when I think of them, I think of a 1980s band that had all these songs about <laughs> buildings and food, like the album title. And it's just, it's about the mundaneness and the oddness of America. And David Byrne just sums that up to me. And there, you're going to have a level of coldness to you uh, when this is the kind of music you're writing. I, I don't know. It's just, he's very, very unique. There's no one like David Byrne. And, I agree uh, with that perspective. I really do. I think that's a perfect analogy of uh, what you've tried to really encompass who, who he is and how his personality is shaped. Uh, just the mundaneness of American life. I, I I feel that he does capture that both in his lyricism and just how he projects himself as his personality. So, yeah, I wonder if he's just one of those casualties who looked into the void and the void looked right back at him. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, exactly. And at the same time, he's a great artist. And I mean, he made great art, but what a lot of the art was about was about this weird, significant aspect of America, which we need for like, we need the middle class back then, whatever's left of it to exist, to be a big cog in the machine that is America. And David Byrne wrote about it better than anybody, I think. And at the same time, he had to be a weird motherfucker to write it. Um, What's funny too is, is some of those songs seem like they might be about something more or maybe something even more cynical, but when pressed on it, he's like, no, it's just what I say. Like, like it's like take it at face value. There's not a deeper meaning. Like (laughs) there's, there's definitely a cross section between him and David Lynch, I think in that regard. Sure. Yeah. Where, You know, don't Absolutely. ask. Hey, man, I put some weird shit out there. Do not ask me what I mean. <laughs> you know? Blue velvet. I mean, it, it really does feel like an element of blue velvet, you know, capturing the suburban boredom. But yet there's this seedy underbelly underneath it all. So, 
Yeah. And to get to get to the real history of them, they 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 all met in art school in the early seventies, and uh, the the Rhode Island School of Design, all art students. Uh, David Byrne specifically, like he had aspirations to be an artiste, and uh, you know have installations and whatnot. Uh, but they took another path, and they. Him, Tina, and Chris formed a band together called the Aristocrats. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I, no, it's not it's the Artistics. I apologize, Mark. I got really excited for you. <laughs> I know. Exactly. I thought we'd get to do the Gilbert Godfrey joke. <laughs> no, they were, they were the Artistics. And, um, you know, they played with the, the Ramones at CG, CBGB's in the 1975. And uh, they somehow just landed in the middle of that New York punk scene. Um, the name talking heads came from an article in TV guide that was specifically referring to some talking heads that were in the news. Um, and I think that's, you know, a, a great name for them considering what a lot of the meat of their lyrics were about, uh, you know, being based off uh, the mundaneness of a CBS news show is a great, great name for them. Uh, you know, they they released uh, a few albums in the late seventies. Uh, uh, the the first one was uh, I think it's just called seventy seven, and that's the one that Psycho yes. Killer is off of. Yes, and uh, I mean their 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 whole discography is it's pretty tight. I mean they they did not release a lot of they did, they didn't release so many albums that there's any anything that cl- clanks too low. You know, I mean they they released uh, you know Talking Head seventy seven. Uh, more songs about buildings and food came out in 78 fear of music. And that came out in 79 that started their, Eno collaboration, right? Yeah. You know, Remain did, in light came out, came yeah, out in 1983. Yeah. Speaking in tongues in 83 little creatures in 85 true stories in 86, which is also tied into a movie. I believe that David Byrne put out and uh, naked came out in 88. And uh, yeah, the, the late seventies, I started collaborating with Brian Eno and remain in light as the, the culmination of those experiments. And every one of these albums has a song off of it that you recognize. Uh, and I think they're a very, they were kind of a sleeper band. Whereas every, every kind of knew about the talking heads, their biggest song, I think is probably either going to be a once in a lifetime, maybe burning down the house or possibly their cover of take me to the river. But they have so many other songs that you'd recognize. But also, even back in these days, when they were still like a, an art punk band, before that term was even a term, I think that you could be at a party probably in 1979 with a bunch of football jocks and hear Psycho Killer and everybody dance to it still. And that's what I think is amazing about this band is that I, I think they're the weirdest like uh, four-quadrant band out there. I think you could listen to Talking Heads and you could be a total indie rock nerd. You could also put them on at a dance party and get people to dance uh, for quite a bit of their songs. Um, our parents, I'm sure some of our parents like some of their songs. Burning Down the House, they probably fucking dance to that song even though they don't know it's talking about the boomers. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I think that even some of the real, real guys that are into some uh, great musicianship can find something here. Uh, they're... They, they, they attack you from all sides, I think. They, they make you think with the lyrics. They make you dance. The uh, nothing Even though it's basic sometimes, nothing to sneeze at with the rhythms they have going on. And uh, 
I mean, what do you got? What do you guys think? Do you, do you agree with me that they're they're kind of a the the oddest four quadrant band out there? Yeah, no, for sure. Because if you if you broke it down into like pieces, it wouldn't necessarily work. But when you hear it, I think like you know, if there's any truth to David Byrne, uh, you know, being <laughs> being on the spectrum, you know, a lot of people on the spectrum have hyper focuses in areas where they they just they just uh, really focus on something and become great at it. And maybe his was writing pop songs because he gets melody, he gets song structure, and um, and he can add a bunch of weird elements. And the band, the band absolutely needs credit for for adding those elements. And so does Brian Eno on some of these albums. But it still works. But when I listen to the whole discography, yeah, seventy seven is a good album. It's got uh, it's got a rawness to it. You you figure out David Byrne's guitar playing style right off the bat, and he's consistent until their very last album. He's very fretty. There's a lot of um, like high fret strumming. Uh, uh, it's very like it's jutting. It's got a it, it, it drives the rhythm. Jut, yeah, no jutting, but also like a lot of the like, kind of angular. Don't you think? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I, yeah. I think that's why they're the true like fathers of of like indie rock. Yeah. Just the like they they he treated a guitar in a way that I don't think it was really treated before. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I it's it's great and. Um, it's why, like, when he finally picks up guitar in that American Utopia, like, more than halfway to the end of it, the audience goes nuts. Um, I, I, I think he's understated as a guitar player, and he did some really important. Um, they released a couple albums with Eno, one of which we're going to go in depth on tonight. They started adding, like, African rhythms and some soul. And the band, like, to see them live, they became uh, kind of an experience which is so well-documented and probably one of the greatest live movies of all time, which I would love to see in the theater, which is a stop making sense. And I've heard ah, that so good. like when stop making sense was shown, people were dancing in the aisles and stuff. And that doesn't sound like made up. Like I can imagine when I watch that thing, I imagine people getting up and dancing in the theater. Um, yeah, it is so great. It's a, it's kind of a retrospective up to that point of their, um, their catalog. And it just covers so much of what made this band great. And it takes these songs that were little songs on the earlier records and just blows them up so big to the, the maximum maximalist sound they had at the, towards the end of their career. And they, they learned how to just make big sounding music with, without overproduction. It's just awesome. And uh, that, that movie, man, um, I like what we said. I, I think it's fitting. Our last episode was about LCD sound system. Because you know that he, uh, James Murphy, he said he's a fan. He worked with uh, David Byrne, right, Mark? In some respect, or am I making that up? Oh, I don't know. I, I think you're putting me on the spot here. I'm sure that he probably did. I mean, it makes sense. About it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, I know he worked LCD, with Bowie, but LCD man, sound system know. doesn't exist the same way they do without the Talking Heads. No. Uh, I do have to ask: Is it Jonathan Demi? Did he direct that movie? The yes. same guy that did Silence of the Lambs. Okay. Yes. Got it. Yeah. Yeah, may he rest in yeah. peace. And you know um, what's cool about that movie too is you get to see in their intermission, you get to see the uh, rhythm section, the married rhythm section, uh, their side project, the Tom Tom Club, which was their song "Genius of Love" is like such a very simple like like '80s funk disco song, but they get down like that. They it's the intermission; it's supposed to be a break, and the energy ramps up even huger. It's a uh, it's in the middle of the Talking Heads' existence. The Tom Tom Club probably had a song bigger than anything the Talking Heads did with that song. 
Yeah, <laughs> it's um, crazy. <laughs> yeah, but I, I think that when you watch that movie, you can say, oh, yeah, I can see how LCD Sound System and Chick 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 and all those bands, like, this is what their template was. Um, and that's just, I, I suggest everybody goes and watch it. Uh, Eric, I know you've watched it. We've talked about it before. Mark, have you ever watched it? I haven't. You know, it's just one of those things I just didn't seem to make time for before we started to hit record. Um, but it, it's always been on my radar to check it out because of just the overwhelming praise that that film receives. And to be honest, even though it seems pretty easy to do, I haven't even listened to the soundtrack so yeah you've again, got you've got prime don't you do you have prime amazon prime? i do i do it's on there right as, now. Uh, as much as david Byrne probably would hate for me to suggest you watch it there because then you're giving money to the machine somehow uh yeah it's, <laughs> it's streaming on there just put it on it's just it's a joy i'll, I, I'll definitely I, check I it out because that big suit man like and uh <laughs> yeah. I, it's just iconic i i just want right. to see david Byrne like shrug those shoulders like uh just see that suit jiggle well, I, I think it, it really shows that David Byrne was a, a great singer, songwriter, an artistic mind that is of a, a, a different and on another level. But also, I mean, he was a hell of a performer. He does some like Buster Keaton type shit in that movie. Like yeah. his, yeah, his his physical gyrations don't stop with just dancing weird. Like he like well, there's like props and stuff that he does <laughs> funny moves with. He's just. Yeah. What's funny is that 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 American Utopia, he's still dancing that way, but now they have professional Broadway choreographers teaching this group of musicians that are dancing with him to do his fucking offbeat, like kind of robot dance, kind of like just uh, dad having too much beer at a wedding and getting out on the floor uh, when they, you know, when they play Johnny Be Good. It's yeah, it's, it's something. Well, that's pretty specific, Eric. Anything you want to tell the crowd? Uh, but uh, when but going through their, their discography, the Eno stuff is like... Um, in addition to having just some great hits on them, there is some uh, production tricks and like artfulness that I think is, uh, you know, of course, with 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 Eno involved, it changed music. I, I think we talked about this when we talked about Lodger, but at some point in the 80s to the early 90s, this like um, uh, this kind of Western band um, incorporating world music. Uh, became a thing um, and I think it started as edgy and then like you know like Paul Simon's Graceland came out <laughs> at some point it it, it wasn't uh, as edgy anymore but when it's done right it's 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 quite interesting and Talking Heads held on to that for a while um, and even their album after Brian you know they're speaking in tongues has so many good tracks on it and they kind of took everything they learned and then just wanted to kind of just ramp up like they just wanted to make hit after hit at that point and that album's great after that i do see diminishing returns on their records um but the given the fact the band was falling apart uh for the next few years it kind of makes sense and they eventually broke up in 1992 officially but i don't even think they put anything out for a few years before that and uh yeah then in, in 1996 that's when no talking just head came out and it was the the, the Talking Heads without David Byrne, and then a whole bunch of uh, guest singers like uh, Debbie Harry, the the guy from Ecstasy, uh, Violent Femmes, you know. And I I remember seeing that one quite a bit in the U section of Dimple. As a matter of fact, I think my opinion of the Talking Heads and David Byrne was formed just by working at, in the U section of the record store before I ever listened to them. Like I remember seeing No Talking Just Head over and over again come in. 
And also that goddamn album, Look Into the Eyeball, whatever it was called. Uh, that yeah. one would come in a lot. And what was the one where he's a little action figure on the cover from his solo work? Um, Couldn't tell you, but I know the I know the cover. Exactly. You'd see those all the time. <laughs> I was well, like, uh, um, when I used to hang out with you and Jason in uh, Rockland Manor, uh, I remember Jason always playing this song like from David Byrne. It was off of his solo work in the later years. It, it was incredibly weird. Um, it was, God, it, it, it sounded like almost like something you would see on that state spinoff called Viva Variety. It was just <laughs> nonsense. <laughs> well, that sounds about right. You know, it's just David, he, he experimented with a lot of different types of music and approaches. But I mean, but I mean, when we go back to even another thing that Jason and I used to watch was that video of him interviewing himself. I don't know if you guys have ever seen that. Um, <laughs> it's David Byrne interviewing David Byrne in the eighties and uh, talking about it's in, it's in the, the special features of stop making sense. And um, I mean, he specifically said that he tries to write about small things, uh, paper, animals, a house. Love is kind of big. I have written a love song. Though in this film, I sing it to a lamp. And that just kind of sums up this band about as well as anything could. Yeah. And maybe maybe why he was difficult to get along with. But, I mean, the guy the guy in one breath is saying, yeah, I got a love song, but I sing it to a lamp. But at the same time, when he sings it to a lamp live, it's amazingly entertaining. And when you put that much effort into entertaining your audience, there is something inside of you that gives a shit what other people think and feel. So he's an enigma, that guy. Yeah. And uh, yeah, the band broke up. They never got back together. Um, I don't think they should. I think that, uh, you know, the, the stuff that was put out. But didn't they get back together uh, at least for the induction into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? I, I mean, it wasn't like a fist, like an actual reunion, but I think they all did play together um, at that. Or I could yes, be wrong. No, they didn't. They okay. did in 2002. But I, I, you know, Jason Newstead also joined Metallica in, in 2011 when they got inducted. But I, you know, I don't consider him part of the band again. For God's sakes. I hear so, you. Yeah. Those, those, the, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is a uh, yes. That's still that's still great. Songs. Maybe that's the last thing. 2002. Yeah, that's they they played uh, three songs. Maybe that was the last we'd uh, we'd see. But. Um, it was well, kind of like Pink that. Floyd at that Live Aid, right? I think right. it was that, kind of that, like that, in that puts, situation. That, yeah, that puts the you 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 want the Talking Heads version of the Endless River now? I don't think you do. So, <laughs> what do we want the Pink people. Floyd version? <laughs> yeah, <I know>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you want to talk about things that put you to sleep? Um, it makes Lana Del Rey look like Kiss, but um, brooch. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Anyhow, oh, a little bit of it. They broke up, and uh, they, I don't think they're all. I don't think they're all buddies, but they, 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 they get a lot of royalties. And in 1980, in October, before any of us were born, they put out this great album called "Remain in Light," which had David Byrne, Jerry Harrison, Tina Weymouth, and Chris Franz. That's the proper band as the main musicians. Also had Brian Eno on keyboards and other Brian Eno things. Nona Hendrix on backing vocals. Robert Palmer on percussion. Uh, Jose Rosie and uh, 
John Hassel on percussion and trumpets and horns. And then friend of the show, Adrian Ballou of uh, King Crimson and David Bowie Records on guitar. And that was uh, the whole band for this one. So let's start talking about this album. Join us in two weeks as we go through this album track by track. Remain in light. Your host will come back and dissect the entire thing. In the meantime, go listen to some of the extended Talking Heads discography. And also, give that album from a few years ago with uh, Brian Eno and David Byrne a shot. The uh, Strange Overtones one, it's a hell of a record. Hell of a song. 